All right. Guys, want to say welcome to Redemption again. For those of you I have not met, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to dive into the Gospel of John with you this morning. So John was written by John. And he was an eyewitness to the three most important years of Jesus' life. He was writing into a context that is similar to our own in the sense that it was a pluralistic society. You had two main schools of thought. One was the ancient Hebrew school of thought. They were essentially religious people who believed that truth came through a book that we now call the Old Testament. In the other camp, you had the Greeks who believed that truth came through philosophical reasoning. And their heroes are still heroes of people today, the Plato's and the Aristotle's of the world. Now, I say that that's similar to our world today because this time of year, I always remember back to religious studies classes that I took in college. And I remember the adage in my religious studies classes, the lens with which we were supposed to view all religion was that all religions are the same. And basically what was meant by that was that all religions have the same basic morality. So if you look at Krishna or you look at Buddha or you look at Yahweh or you look at Allah, basically it doesn't matter which God you believe in because they're all essentially the same. Now as I started to study religion in college and started to think about that perspective, I realized that that perspective was not just a denial of truth, it was actually a claim of truth itself. To say that all religions are basically the same is a religious dogma. It's to say, essentially, I have this perspective that is above all religion, and from my perspective, I can see everything about every religion, and I can boil it down for you, None of them is true enough to be the truth, which is, from my perspective, the most arrogant perspective that you can have. Okay, so here's what John is contending for throughout the Gospel of John. He's saying, it's not your professor or your religious leader who has the truth. It's a person that he calls the Word. And he says this to us, the Word has made God known. The Word has definitively revealed the truth. So in a world where everybody, secular and religious, says that they have the truth, John says, not so fast. There's somebody who's more qualified than the most qualified human being. So here's what we're going to see in John chapter 1. We're going to see the identity of the word, the illumination of the word, and the incarnation of the word. Okay, first of all, identity of the word. Let's read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, the first thing that I want you to see is that John is saying that the word is for everyone. He is nodding, first of all, to those who have a Jewish background. If a Jew in his day were to read those three words in the beginning, they would have immediately flipped back in the Old Testament to the first line of the Hebrew Scriptures. The Bible starts off with these words in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So at this point, the Jews are leaning in, and the Greeks are like, see, you're just a religious person. You've got nothing for us. But then John says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, Word was coined by an ancient Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. The Greek word is logos. And logos was a term to designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. So in Greek philosophical thought, they had this idea that there was a plan coordinating everything. Here's what John is saying. For both Greeks and Jews... There is a person who is the Word, who was in the beginning, who is for everyone. And he says, let me tell you who this Word is. First of all, he was in the beginning. One of the most basic questions that your kids will ask you, if you ever have kids, is they will ask you, what was there before everything that I can see? And John's answer is the Word. Who later, throughout the Gospel of John, we find out is a person named Jesus. He is saying Jesus, who walked on the earth, was there in the beginning. He always has been and he always will be. He is ultimate reality. It is not immaterial. It is not nothingness. Ultimate reality is a person whose name is Jesus. And he's saying that that person, the Word, was with God. So in other words, a distinct person from the Father. And the Word was God. Some of you have wondered where Christians get the idea of the Trinity. If you put Genesis 1 and John 1 together, you see that God created everything. You see that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And you see that the Word, Jesus, was present there. All of the persons of the Trinity are fully God, and yet they are separate persons. And together they are one God. So Jesus is God. And therefore, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything that you see, taste, 
and feel and hear was created by Jesus. Nothing exists without his creative power. So that when he spoke, something came out of nothing. That includes both the material and the spiritual and immaterial. It includes both truth and the ground that we walk on. Everything finds its source and its origin in him. And therefore, John concludes that in him was life. That is biological life. It is also spiritual life. To have Jesus is to have the truth. To not have Jesus is to grasp at the truth, but never fully arrive at any solid conclusion. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And my guess is a lot of you have maybe even grown up in Christian homes, but the truth about Jesus has kind of sat in the closet of your life. Here's what I mean. I saw this story on CNN.com this week. There was a woman who bought a painting at a Savers thrift store in New Hampshire four years ago. Did anyone see this? And she really didn't think anything of it. She liked the frame, which is why she bought it. So for a while, it was hanging in her bedroom. And then she kind of got tired of it, so she put it in her closet. But she had a hunch that maybe the painting was worth something, and she had maybe heard of the artist who had signed their name on the painting. So she took it to an auction house to get a price tag on it and found out that at a minimum, at an auction, this painting was worth $250,000, but probably much more because you know how auctions work when you bring it, bid it up, bid it up, bid it up, and I don't know, really rich people like to buy stuff like that, right? But anyway, the point is she had something of immense value. It wasn't until she brought it to the auction house she discovered its immense value. Here's what John is saying. I want you to dive deep into the things that I have written about Jesus. And I want you to not jump off in faith in some abstract way, but I want you to look hard with me at the person of Jesus, this person that I walked with, that I touched, that I saw, that I heard, and that I believed. And I want you to see for yourself his incalculable worth. I want you to see that he, above and beyond any person that you have ever met or any book that you have ever read or any professor that you have ever had, he has the truth. Listen to him. So that is the identity of the word. Secondly, we see the illumination of the word. Look with me at verses 5 through 13 again. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, 
but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he says that the word brought life and light. And what was unique about Jesus is as he walked on the earth, he was not overcome by the darkness, the tragedy, the sadness, the death, the deception and injustice of the world, but he was impervious to it. It did not affect him in the way that it affects all of us. Yes, he cried when injustice happened, but he overcame it. He was like a bright light shining in the darkness. But John cautions us. He says, wait a second. At first, yes, you're excited by a person who brings light. But he says, if you encounter Jesus, you're going to be like my friend, who's also named John. So John, the writer, is referring to a different John, named John the Baptist. And he says this about John the Baptist. He came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Okay, so here's what happens when you encounter Jesus. One, you begin to see that he has a light in himself that you do not have in yourself. You begin to see that he was completely without darkness. There was nothing in him that was wrong. The only perfect person to ever walk the face of the earth, which is simultaneously amazing. And it calls something forth from us, and that is to say he is the true light. But here's also what it's going to cost you, that it costs John and it costs every true disciple of Jesus. It is the admission that I am not the light. There is deep and profound darkness in me. It is the admission that the problem with the world is not just out there, although it is out there. The greatest problem in the world that I know of is the darkness in me. It is that I am profoundly lost on my own. I am not the light of the world. I do not have a shining to bring forth. Jesus does. And so, the light of Jesus is both illuminating and devastating. It makes us stand in awe 
and it blinds us. I'm always reminded of this when I watch the movie Good Will Hunting. I love the movie Good Will Hunting. Don't you? You got to get over all the F words, you know. So I can't fully endorse it. I'm not saying that I approve of the F word. I know when a pastor says a movie recommendation, everyone's like, does he like? Does it count if somebody says the F word if they have a Boston accent, by the way? Anyway. Um, anyway. Uh, you remember, basically, there's this math professor who is uh, trying to solve this incredibly difficult equation. And so he puts it out to his students to try to solve it. And he sees himself as sort of a math genius. And there's a janitor working at the school, played by Matt Damon. And this equation is written out on a chalkboard. And Matt Damon's just cleaning the school, and he actually is a genius. And he sees the math equation and solves it at night at the school. And the professor comes back, and he has this look of delight on his face, like somebody solved this equation that I couldn't solve. And so at first, he's drawn to the amazingness of this student. But then he's devastated by it. Why? Because the light is exciting to him, but exposes what he is. To follow Jesus is to be illuminated in two ways. One, he is amazing. He is glorious. He is awesome. And a continual realization that you are not. How could a person get to the point where they would worship someone who shows them their flaws? Here's what John says. It's both possible and not possible. He says... To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, you just believe. That's it. We just read through the Gospel of John, and we look at Jesus, and we see that he's amazing, and we just believe. But look what he says. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Here is the devastating reality. The darkness in you is so deep that without the supernatural illumination of God, you will hate Jesus. You might come to church. You might raise your hands. You might go through the motions. But deep down in your heart, it is impossible from your own darkness to embrace the light. It is only the supernatural power of God that can open your eyes so that you love this Jesus. And so we come to the Gospel of John desperate. God, open my eyes. God, Open my heart. 
I don't believe like I want to believe. Would you show me the true light? So we see in the text thus far the identity of the word and we see the illumination of the word. And finally we see the incarnation of the word. Verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, incarnation literally means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. So get this, the Word, who is the source of all light and life, who is God, through whom all things were created, both seen and unseen. The God over all. That Word became flesh. Put human skin on and dwelt among us. Now, that word dwelt means tabernacled. It means that Jesus came camping with us. That's how you know somebody loves you, right? They come camping with you. Like things are going to get real when you go camping. God overall put on human flesh and dwelt among us. That's the meaning of the incarnation. Why would he do that? Now, Scripture says the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Here's what the Old Testament did in the lives of the people of Israel. It didn't give them a ladder to climb to God. It devastated them. Because the purpose of the law is to reveal our flaws. So their flaws were revealed. But the law could not save them. Religious performance can't save anyone. It just makes you realize how dark your soul is. Because you can't do it. If you were good, you could do it, but you're not good, so you can't do it. Jesus came bringing grace and truth. Here's what grace is. It's favor that none of us deserve. Jesus came not counting our darkness and our flaws and our sin against us, but he came loving us dying for us, sacrificing himself for us, 
serving us, loving us. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we see him with the lowest and the least, with the most dark and lost in society. And he is reaching out to them, and he is saying, I came for you. But he is not morally neutral. He's a morally serious person. He comes with truth. In other words, he's basically telling everybody simultaneously, I love you and you're wrong. Jesus does not make us feel comfortable where we're at, ever. And he's going to bother us and he's going to mess with us throughout the Gospel of John. And you get to know him, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and people talk about the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of him like he's really comforting. He is, but he also messes with you. Can I get an amen on that one? Like he makes you feel bad. Because you are. And so Jesus comes with grace and truth because we need both. We need grace because we need to be embraced because we're so messed up and we need this sense of belonging and care and love so that we can grow from that place. But we also need truth because if we don't get truth, all of us will just go our own way and we'll mess up our life and eventually mess up our eternity. We'll just do whatever we want. And the road of following Christ is a narrow road. Those who find it are few. It's a road of truth. The grace of God is not a license to do whatever you want to do. It is a power to walk in the truth. So here's Jesus bringing grace and truth with a heart of love. I love C.S. Lewis's analogy of the incarnation. He was a professor of English literature, loved Shakespeare. And here's how he explained the incarnation. He said, the only way that Hamlet could ever meet Shakespeare is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play. There's no way they would meet otherwise because Hamlet is a creation of Shakespeare. Likewise, you are a creation of the Word. Your relationship to God is like the relationship of an author to a story that he wrote. The only way that you could know God that you could know truth is if the author wrote himself into the story. And that's what happened. Jesus walked on the earth, giving light and life because he wants to know you. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to seek after him, to find him, to know him. And John says this about the gospel, the good news story that he wrote, his eyewitness account. 
he actually tells us the reason that he wrote it in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So here's what I'm asking for from you, that you would seek Jesus. Would you diligently study the Gospel of John? Download a Bible app. Listen to it as you walk to class. Listen to it as you drive to work. Open up this book and read it and reread it and read it again. And ask yourself the question, is there any more qualified person than Jesus to tell me what the truth is? And here's what I believe you will find you will find that in our relativistic world where people are lobbing grenades at each other but never arriving at a certain revelation of the truth, that you will find yourself standing on solid ground. A ground that makes you confident in the truth but gracious toward others because Jesus has been confident of the truth and gracious toward you. And the proof of it, we will see, is the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus says, I'm standing on the truth. And the proof of me standing on the truth is nobody gets away with anything. So I'm not saying you get away with your sin and your darkness and your evil. I'm saying I'm dying in your place. I'm taking the punishment for you. And on the cross, he said, and I'm so gracious that I'm willing to do that for you. So that in him, you may have life. Let's pray. Jesus, We look forward to seeing you, to getting to know you better. Thank you that you left witnesses for us, that they wrote these words down, that they have been preserved for us for thousands of years, that we can read them and investigate the claims about you for ourselves. I pray that you would open our eyes so that we could see and embrace your light and that even as it devastates us, we would be drawn to it because of your beauty. Pray this all in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.